Hey, how's it going? This is Billy. Thank you for listening to Coffee Talk with Billy and Jen. This is a special edition. Uh, as you know, Easter Sunday has just passed, and we thought maybe for the first time in the history of Coffee Talk, we would give you a glimpse into um, our world of faith. As you know, Jen and I are people of faith, and in fact, we're pastors at a church called 116 Church. Um, one of the things I love about this podcast is many of our listeners don't go to church, and they wouldn't particularly call themselves people of faith. That's so cool. Uh, um, you don't have to be a person of faith to listen to Coffee Talk. But I don't know, maybe you're going through something, and hope shows itself in a lot of different ways. And we thought, how cool would it be for us to kind of show you what happened on Sunday at our church? Um you might be like, I don't go to church. That's okay. That's probably why you and I'd be friends, in fact. I'm not too crazy about church people, but what I am crazy about is hope, life, joy, and living for something bigger than ourselves. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday. Um, I know it'll encourage you. Um, I believe it'll inspire you. At the very least, I promise you, you're going to laugh and smile. I talk a ton about Jen and the kids, so you'll feel right at home, just like we're in Coffee Talk Studios. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Cheers. I'm going to get right to it. If you have your Bible, I'm going to go to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Thank you, worship team. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll sing some more. Feels good to sing on Easter. Remember last year, Easter? Remember that? <laughs> Just chilling in your sweats on your couch. <laughs> it wasn't terrible. I like this better, but I wouldn't mind the sweats. Jay, you dressed it down this Easter, man. Because, <laughs> and I dressed up. You still look ten times better than me, and this is me super dressed. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I should be offended by the many of you who are like, "Wow." <laughs> I'm sorry. I know I love hoodies. I actually tried to put a hoodie on under this suit jacket, and it did not go well. <laughs> My wife told me she's like, "Don't do it." Yeah, so fat guy in a little coat. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's get spiritual just for a second, just for a second. Uh, Luke chapter 23, one of, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture to talk out of. It is Jesus going to the crucifixion and felt that it would be fitting on this Sunday, on Easter Sunday, to start here. And it says this in verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, being Jesus, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I say to you, today, somebody say today. Oh, man, I'm going to get to preaching. Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. The sun literally refused to shine. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, that last statement, that sounds sad. In fact, it sounds like defeat. But if you know the story of Easter, uh, Jesus breathing his last offers us eternal hope. And that is the Easter story. I'd like to talk from the subject this morning on Easter Sunday. He came to rescue me. He came to rescue me. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the moments we have. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you speak to us. I realize that there are people that are in church here this morning that may have never been to church, felt like they should go to church, came with a friend or a family member. But Lord, you know our stories. You've been with us the whole time. So right now, would you do what only you can do? Speak to us individually and collectively. Lord, read us as we read your word. Thank you for the hope we find in you. Thank you for the life we find in you. Thank you that you're not dead, that you live. And because of that, we have life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. Easter, the celebration of the Savior. Um, Also a reminder that there's only one, meaning you and I aren't the Savior, Um, which I need to be reminded of often because sometimes I kind of feel like I could save people or save, save myself. Truth is, we can't save anyone, and we can't even save ourselves. I was reminded of that. Uh, on our first family vacation to the beach. Now, if you've been to 116 Church, you realize I love the beach. Um, Clearly, I have a beach bod. (laughs) You can see that with your own two eyes right now. And um, I love going to the beach. I grew up going to the beach, but my wife hadn't gone to the beach much, and my children, for sure, had never been to the beach. Now, what I'm about to explain to you has gone down in infamy in the Huffman family. This trip, the instances that occurred in this trip, will never be forgotten. In fact, if we've known each other for any amount of time, you have heard me relay these instances. And so I shall do it again. We were going to the beach for the very first time. We were in Destin, Florida. And I remember in the car drive to the beach, I told the children, I said, listen, there's a couple rules. You've never been in the ocean. You never experienced the waves or the undertow or the rip currents. So there's a few rules. Not a lot. I want you to have fun. But I'm going to give you just a few things that are going to keep you safe because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. I said, boys, my sons, Judah and Caleb, I don't know, they're probably like eight or nine. I said, hey, don't go out past your chest. Don't do it. Actually, stay right around by your waist because there's an undertow. If you stay by your waist, you won't get pulled out with the rip currents. And then the undertow, which takes you down the beach, you'll, just, you'll be all right if you stay waist level. I'm like, you understand? I told my little baby girl, Serenity, I don't know, about four at the time. I was like, honey, if you want to go in the water, just hold daddy's hand. Okay? You can't handle the ocean. I can. Just hold my hand and you have a blast. And then I said, this is the most important rule of them all. And I'm not my, my wife's husband. Or I, am, I am my wife's husband. I'm not her father. <laughs> You're like, Weird. <laughs> I'm not her dad, but I was like, babe, you might want to pay attention here. I'm not trying to be a dad to you, but you've never been to the ocean and you think you know. So I was like, there's one really, really major rule when it comes to going to the ocean. Never turn your back on it. Just don't turn your back on the ocean. There's so many things you can do, but the ocean is waiting for you to turn your back on it. It's just, it's praying that you will be one of those tourists that just turns around and then the ocean will get you and it will get you good. And so I make this very clear and I'm like, this is, this is, 
And so there's a clear thought. And they're like, Dad, well, you know, but what if I'm like turning on a I was like, listen, if you're going to turn, just put your head on a swivel. Just don't. There's a lot of things in life you shouldn't turn your back on. Um, you know, growling animals, angry people with shotguns, anyone in my family who's holding a water balloon, right? <laughs> but most importantly, don't turn your back on the ocean. So everyone's good. I'm like, we're good. We get out there. We are out on the beach for I, maybe two minutes. And my sons are gone into the water and they are already neck deep, already neck deep. I couldn't believe it. I'm literally like, and I'm yelling at them because they don't understand they're going to get caught in an undertow riptide. I'm yelling at them, but they can't hear me because the waves are crashing. I'm waving at them. They don't see me. They're not paying attention. They're just, just out there bobbing. Like they're, they're about to be swept off the sea. About the time I realized that this is happening, I'm like, I, gotta, I might have to swim out there. I'm holding Serenity's hand. Well, she gets curious and she breaks away for a second. The moment she breaks away, boom, just crushed. My little four-year-old daughter, just gone, like just swept under the water. You know, and I told her, hold daddy's hand. So I go looking for her. She's rolling. I see feet, head, feet, you know, I pick her up. She comes out screaming. First words out of her mouth. I hate the beach. You know, and I'm like, like you would like it if you would have listened, you know, so I'm holding serenity and she's really, she drank a lot of salt water and she's coughing and she's, I'm trying to console her. I'm looking and I can barely see my sons now because they've just abandoned all the things that I taught them. And they're just literally they're like, they're, they're bobbing down the water. They're going down, they're caught in this undertow and they're just rolling and they don't realize it. And about that time I see Jen and she has sauntered off into the sea and I'm going to be honest. I love to watch her. I love to watch her leave. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hate to see you go. Love to watch you leave. And I'm looking at her because she's beautiful. She's got, like her, she's got like her bathing suit on. She's got like her hat, her little beach bonnet, and her little sunglasses. She's got a little Starbucks coffee. You're like, who drinks Starbucks coffee in the sun at the beach? People from Seattle <laughs> who don't know. And, so, and I'm watching her. But the problem is I'm looking at her, and she's looking back at me. And I feel the need to remind her of the number one rule in the ocean. And so she's looking at me because I'm, I'm consoling our daughter and she can see me kind of lose my mind over here. And so she doesn't see what I see is the ocean coming to get her. And I can see it it's as clear as day. Why? Because I'm looking at the ocean and she's looking at me. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm like kind of like doing the hand motion because she can't hear me. There's waves. I'm like, like, turn around, turn around. And she, I guess she thinks like I'm waving or I'm just like having fun because she just, she like waves back at me. You know, it's just like literally like a beach pose, like, hey. And I'm like, no, no, turn around. And I'm like, this wave, this wave saw Jennifer coming. I swear, the ocean waited for her to get on a plane from Seattle and come all the way to Florida. It was begging for the moment that when she turned her back, because the ocean knew she would turn her back, that he was going to sneak up. And this wave, it's, it's building, it's building. You ever see those waves that they get bigger and bigger and bigger? And Jen's just sipping her coffee, hey being so pretty out there. And she was pretty. And I'm like, babe, turn around. And then Judah's, Judah and Caleb are swept up and I got Serenity here and she's crying. I hate the beach. And boom. I mean, the wave hit her with zero mercy. Hat gone. Glasses gone. Coffee gone. Bathing suit top. I wish, you know, but still there, still there, still there. I mean, she was gone. Like, I mean, honestly, babe, if I'm honest, I don't think she got back in the ocean that vacation. And I can't remember you ever getting back in the ocean again. Like, it killed her. And she was just swept away. And I'm literally, I'm having this moment. I'm standing there. My daughter's screaming and crying. My sons are gone to China, swept off to sea. Jennifer is decimated. And I just look up to heaven and I yell, I cannot save you all. <laughs> like, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't, I can't save you all. Later on in life, it would dawn on me that I wasn't supposed to, right? Like, I'm not supposed to save 
them all. In fact, it's ridiculous to think you can, even more ridiculous to try. But God can. God can save everyone. And God can save anyone. Let's look at this encounter that Jesus has in in Luke 23. There's this first criminal, verse 39. His, His encounter with the first criminal. This criminal says to Jesus in verse 39, if you're God, save yourself in us. To which if I was Jesus, I would have replied, I am, jerk. <laughs> like what do you, I mean, that's literally what I'm doing on this cross is saving you. But Jesus doesn't respond to him. In fact, there were others that said the same thing. It said that the, the high priest said, if he's God, prove it. The soldiers said it. What I'm, what I'm shocked at is how Jesus does not respond to this man ridiculing him. They ridicule him. In fact, they're blaspheming him because he's God. So they're blaspheming him. And Jesus does not allow the ridicule or the blaspheme to keep him from doing what he knows he must do. It's one thing to do something difficult. It's another thing to do that difficult thing when it seems like people don't like you very much. Like, where's my motivation? I once had a mentor say to me when I was in my 20s, he said, Billy, if you have to be popular, you're disqualified from doing anything great. If you have to be popular, you are disqualified from doing anything of significance. There's always going to be people that will speak bad of the good that you are attempting to do. Always always. They'll always say something. Are you trying to do something good right now? There's somebody out there who will. You may not even know them. You may not even, the kids these days call them haters, you know, (laughs) but there's always going to be someone who's going to say something bad about the good you're doing. And if you are addicted to what people think about you, you'll never do anything great. I mean, yes, you can still be happy. Yes, you could still have friends. Yes, you could still do good things. But if popularity is your goal. You're disqualified from greatness. Jesus refuses to respond or react to this man. If it had been me, oh my goodness, I'd have made a scene of biblical proportions. I would have. I mean, I would have, lightning would have shown up. I'm God. Wild animals would have come out of hiding. You know what I'm saying? Like, honestly, I'm bothered by this man because, not because he's bad, but because he's stupid. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm calling him stupid. It's okay to call someone stupid when they're, when they're already dead and they, and they actually are. <laughs> it's not. If you're kids, some of the kids in here don't say stupid. But this man, because here's the thing. The Bible says he railed on the one individual in all of humanity that could save him. Instead of turning to God, he got mad at God. Instead of turning to Jesus, he blamed Jesus for his circumstances. It's one thing to be bad. We're all in that boat. It's another thing to turn on the very thing that offers you salvation. Possibly one of the most difficult things to follow Jesus in is in doing good to those who treat you badly. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Doing good to those who treat you badly. Yet Jesus does that and he calls us to follow him. Look at just before verse 34. We read it. In verse 34, it reads like this. It says, 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Here's how it reads. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. And they, in response, cast lots to divide his garments. So in the midst of unspeakable bad, they're, they're torturing and crucifying. Jesus asks heaven to do good to the very people that are persecuting him. I mean, that doesn't get any better than that. He's like, Lord, have mercy on them. Forgive them. Do them good. And their response to that is to gamble for articles of his clothing that have left him naked and exposed hanging on the tree that he made. Think about this. They can hear him. They're, they're, they're within earshot. They're at his feet. And Jesus is doing good. And their response to him, doing good, is not to be like, wow, man, that's, that's really big of you. Like, I, I can't. No, no, no. They're just gambling for his clothing. That's how they respond. Are you like me? Do you, when you do something good, do you kind of have an expectation that that is reciprocated back to you? Are you like me? I know in church, as good church people, we're supposed to do good with no strings attached. Like do unto others, you know, and then, then you're just to let it go. Like if you lend someone money, you're just like, I just gave it to them. You know, I'm not even expecting a payback. Or if you're kind, we just, and we should be that way. And I'm working on that. You're working on that. But is there something in all of us? Just a little bit. Like if I do something good for you, it's kind of a low-key unspoken expectation that you at least do good back to me. I mean, at least a little bit. Okay, my wife and I, sometimes we'll argue. It's very rare, but sometimes we will argue. And there's these moments, these moments where, I mean, I just feel like Jesus is all over me. And I will stop in the midst of the argument. And even though she's wrong, I will stop and I will go, babe, my bad. I'm sorry. I was wrong. <laughs> no, it's very big of me to do it. And <laughs> I do it. I'm going to be honest. I mean it. I think I mean it. But I'm always kind of like, and there's a long pause. And it's like I want to, if I could, I want to add like, and is there anything you'd like to say? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just like a low-key expectation. Like, I just did something pretty big and pretty good. Like, I admitted my wrong. Like, anything. And sometimes Jen will be like, no. You were wrong. And I'm glad you admitted it, right? What I wanted to say is like, no, baby, I was wrong. And then we make up sex. <laughs> like, that's what that goes to. I keep forgetting the kids are in here. Oh, man. That's what's supposed to happen. But when she says to me like, no, no, I have nothing to say. You were wrong. And then I want to be like, I'm not sorry anymore. <laughs> you know, like, because the thought was, if I do good, and you, you could do a little good back for me, and that's human. But with Jesus, we do bad, and he does good. That's what Jesus does. That's still not even the most amazing thing that happens on this pre-Easter day. Verse 40, there's a second criminal. I like this guy a lot. He's a criminal. I can relate with that, but I like him. He says, the Bible says that he rebukes the first criminal. So he's already, he's like, hey, man, hey, 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 hey. He rebukes him. He says, are you not afraid? And he uses this phrase. He says, since you and I are under the same sentence of condemnation, go to the next verse, verse 41. He says, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward. 
of our deeds. Receive the due reward of our deeds. Uh, the Greek translation there means it's the, it's the effect of a crime. The due reward is the effect of a crime. What if, what if I got everything I deserved? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Don't, because the answer will not brighten your day. What if you got everything, everything you deserve? This criminal says we are getting the due reward of our deeds, and justly so. It's not unjust. You ever see someone get overpunished? As a dad, a young dad, I'm sure I kind of overreacted to my kids like spilling a cup of milk, and I'm like, what is happening? The world's over. You're never going to college. <laughs> like, whatever, what does that mean? Like, like we just overreact. I was like, that was unjust. That was, that was, that's not right. But this, this criminal is saying, like, no, 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 no. Like, this is, this is just the due rewards. It's consequence. Can we talk about consequence for a second on Easter morning? Here is my main thing when we talk about consequences, which are real. Consequences are what happen when we do something. That's a consequence. Like, didn't Newton make a law? Every action has an equal reaction, right? Wasn't that him? Sir Isaac Newton, you know, like what goes up must come down. You know, you push my wife, I break your face. You know, like it's just a, a, action, a reaction, right? Um, don't confuse consequence with the love of God. Please, on Easter Sunday, do not confuse consequence for wrong with the love of God. Because they're not linked, just so you know. God is not punishing us. He's not punishing us. Jesus already died. Hashtag happy Easter. Jesus already rose from the dead. He took our sins. So God's not punishing us. But there are consequences. There are reactions to what we do in life. Don't confuse the two. If we said, here's a rule at the Hilton, they told us thou shalt not jump from the roof. And you're like, bump your rules. I don't like your rules. I rage against your rules. And you go up to the top and you jump and you break your leg. And I come over to you and I say, hey, what happened? And you're like, man, I jumped off the roof and then God punished me. No, he didn't. Gravity punished you, right? Because that's, that's a consequence for what you're doing. If I, if I told my children we have a rule in our house, don't play soccer in traffic. Like, Dad, we don't like your rule. It's so restrictive. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I know what you don't know. So I come up with these rules, and this rule's for your good. Thou shalt not play soccer in the midst of rush hour traffic. They're like, oh, you're so restrictive. I hate your rules. I'm like, it's for your own good. I love you. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm saving you. But what if my son, it's like, I'm still going out. I'm going to go play soccer in traffic. And on his way out, disobeying the rule that I put there to protect him, on his way out, he turns back and he's like, Dad, but you still love me though, right? You still love me. I would be like, wrong question. Of course I love you. In fact, I love you right now, and I'll love you when that car hits you, and I'll love you on the way to the, <laughs> to the hospital, and I'll love you in recovery. What you're doing has nothing to do with my love for you. It's merely a consequence of your actions. So what is happening and we see unfolding right here as clear as day is this is at work. Jesus is literally about to make a reservation for a prisoner in paradise as he is getting the due reward for his life of crime. He's in the midst of his consequences, and yet it does not affect God's love for him. 
So don't be like, oh, I messed up and now God's punishing me. God is not punishing you. God loves you. God's love for you is unchanging. It is unending. He loves you no matter what. Consequences come. You know what's so amazing to me? That even in the consequences of our actions, God's grace is there and he helps us and he loves us. He's helping this man. Like he deserves it. And yet God, Jesus is like, okay, now let's go back to it. What's he say? I am riveted by the space that is between unspeakable hope and unthinkable despair in this passage. Go with me for a second. Luke 23, verse 43. This is unspeakable hope. Jesus says to this man, this prisoner, today you will be with me in paradise. He pardons him and offers him paradise. It just doesn't get any better than that. Man didn't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it. It's unthinkable joy. It's it's unspeakable Then three verses later, look at this. Three verses later, it reads, and with that, having said that, God, Jesus, breathed his last. God died. Three verses later, how small is the gap between hope and despair? It is. It's smaller than maybe we originally thought. Unspeakable hope in unthinkable despair. I mean, imagine the men and women who were watching this, the disciples who were watching this unfold. Just in verse 43, they see Jesus say, today you will be with me. And they see a prisoner find new life and new joy. I mean, the unthinkable hope and faith that arises. And then just moments later, they watch them both die. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever experienced that, this, this, these highs and these lows? It is one thing to be informed that something is dead. It is another thing to watch it die with your own eyes. Have you ever watched that? A dream, a relationship, a hope, it dies. Maybe that's why it was so hard for the disciples in Luke 24 when the Easter announcement came to believe it. The Bible says in Luke 24, Chapter, chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. It says that Jesus rose from the dead. And it tells us that the women, he told the women first. That's important to note. You know that the, yeah, I got someone real good. You know it's really important to note that the resurrection message was first given to women. And that is because women will take it and do something with it. Like there's something, and can I just speak to the women that are in church this morning? There is something God breathed in you that takes something and pushes it through until it's done. It's, you think it's just your personality. You think that women are multitaskers, or and that may all very be true, but I'm telling you, it is actually God-ordained. He puts something in you that men do not possess. It is the ability to keep going and to take something and finish it until it's finished. That's a fact. Yeah, you could clap for that. Fellas, you should clap for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, we... No, we're fickle. We get distracted. If God had told the disciples, they probably would have forgotten on the way back. Like they'd have got talking with someone and they had lunch and they're like, what are we doing for dinner? And then they played around the golf and they would just, three weeks later, oh yeah, God's alive. You know, like, no, 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 no. There's something inside of women. That's, that's why God chose women to bring life into the world. You know that, right? That's why he chose women. Men, we have very little to do with the whole equation. But women, the only way life enters the world is through a woman. Because if a man had to do it, we would have no life. We would quit and we would give up. And we do. 
I can prove it. I love Paul the apostle. He's a good man. But in scripture, Paul the apostle says, for three days I prayed that God would remove the thorn from my side. And if it sounds like I'm being facetious, I kind of am. For three whole days I prayed. And then I was like, well, his grace is sufficient. I'm telling you, women would not play that game. There's one woman in, 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 in scripture who had an issue for 12 years, a medical condition for 12 years. And still after 12 years, she said, if I just touch Jesus, I will be made whole. I mean, that's Paul. Three days, the woman with the issue. 12 years. And she's still like, it could happen. It could happen. Ladies, please do not let life stifle that in you. Fellas, please do not stifle that in the women in your world. We need it. So Jesus raises from the dead, and the first people that get the announcement are the women. Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mother, Martha, there's a few other ones, Joanna. So they tell them the resurrection message. The Bible says in Luke 24 that they go to the disciples, and it says to them that they, they told them that Jesus was alive, and it says that they thought it was idle talk, and they did not believe them. My son the other day, Judah, he's like, Dad, why, why is it so hard for them to believe? And I thought, probably because they watched him die with their own two eyes. That's probably why. Because they watched God breathe his last. What have you seen die in the last year? What dreams have you watched with your own two eyes? It's one thing for me to tell you, like, hey, this isn't going to work. Okay, that's disappointing. But when you watch it die, when you believed for it, and you hoped for it, and you prayed for it, and you talked about it, and you fought for it, and then it just dies right in front of you. All of a sudden, you're like, I just, I don't know if I can even believe. And so we find ourselves going from hope to despair, the highs and the lows that come so quickly. But Jesus... He fills that gap. Jesus fills the space between hope and despair because only Jesus can fill that gap. You know what it's called? Saving grace. Happy Easter. Saving grace. This is where Jesus comes in and saves us when nobody else can. Look at the exchange between Jesus and the criminal just for a second. What exactly did this man do to be saved? What did he do? Did he come to church? The man hanging on the cross. This will mess with your theology. What did he, did, he come, did, he sh- did he show up to church? Did he raise his hand and pray a prayer? Did you know, if you're a believer, that the sinner's prayer is not even in Scripture? We'll probably say it today. Like, I love to pray a sinner's prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins. But that's not even in Scripture. Did he, did, he, did, he, did, he, did he go to a Bible class and, and learn about Scripture? Did he open the Bible in that moment? And did he read and was he enlightened by Scripture as to what to do? What did this man do? Did he walk down the front at the end while the keyboards were softly playing? Did he kneel to his knees? No, he doesn't do any of that. Because this man is in a moment that maybe you can relate with. I certainly can. He has come to the utter end of himself. He has lived his life and now his sins have caught up with him. And the burden is too much to bear. He's broken. So he's hanging on a cross, 
a cross that he deserves. And he's getting his due reward because it's justice. And so what does he do with Jesus? What does he say? He doesn't, he doesn't say help. He doesn't say even, he doesn't even use the words save me. Scripture tells us that he doesn't say, Jesus, could you get me out of this? That's what the first criminal said. He's like, well, if you're God, save us all. No, no, no. Listen to the, the, the meekness of this man. He says, Lord, remember me. If you could. It's almost as if he's, he's, he's ashamed to ask. He's like, I, first of all, I know that I shouldn't even be talking to you, and I know you and I aren't the same. He says, like, God, please save me. God, come down. No, 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 Lord. Could you, would you, is there a chance you could remember me? I'm not asking for, like, like right now, just whenever you get to where you're going, wherever you're going, whenever you get there, your kingdom, would you remember me? Could you remember me? How... How very meager, how very of, a, of this prisoner hanging on this cross, how very simple of him to say, God, I, I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it. And this is a dreadful moment that maybe you have found yourself in life. I certainly have. That moment when I realize I don't deserve it and what I deserve is more than I can bear. I don't deserve for you to even look at me. So I'm not saying, Lord, could you just... Could you, if wherever you get, whenever you get to where you're going, could you just remember me? If it's three days from now, if it's, if, it's three, if it's three weeks from now, if it's three years from now, you're clearly a king. You're clearly going to a kingdom. And I'm not asking for any guarantees because I don't deserve them. But when you get to where you're going, if maybe you could just recollect me and then, you know, that's, you mean save you? He doesn't even say it. What does the prisoner on the cross do? Does he say, Jesus, save me? Does he say, Jesus, forgive me? Remember that verse in Romans 5 that says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Could you remember me? And Jesus' response is, well, it's honestly the most life-changing response, I think, in all of Scripture. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today. <laughs> not, not, not in a few days, not tomorrow, not in a year, not a decade, not once you've paid penance and done what you need to do, not once you've gone to church a few times and volunteered in the city kids class and then, and then helped out on the worship team, not once you've gotten your, your, no, no, no. He says, today, this very moment, you will be with me. Today, sustaining grace. That's the other kind of grace Jesus gives us on Easter. Saving grace, where he saves us from what we can't save ourselves. And sustaining grace is the grace that keeps me today. It's grace for today. Grace for right now. And you, you need that, and I need that. You know you need that. I know I need that. I don't just need Jesus to save my soul. I'm grateful for it, and we're celebrating Easter. But I am also celebrating the fact that he is there with me, sustaining me. His grace is here today, right now. Have you messed up? Start again today. 
Sustaining grace is the kind of grace that enables us to begin again. That's the whole point of this day is all things new. We could begin afresh because of Jesus. Have you made mistakes? Start again today. Have you been hurt? Today, you could start again. You can. Have you been hurt by people who were supposed to help you, who were supposed to be there for you and to have you? Did they hurt you? Start again today. That's what this scripture is telling me. Not, not in a few moments, not when I kind of, no, no, right now in this moment, have you hurt other people that way? You could begin again today. Are you losing faith? Man, I've lived for, for a bit out of all the years of my life. This year may have been one of the top ones globally that has tested the faith, right? Just it tests. Start again today. Could you remember me? What Jesus is simply saying is, yes, I will save you. And yes, I will do it today. That's the game changer. Yes, I will save you. And yes, I will do it right now. And the prisoner, when he closes his eyes, goes from prisoner to paradise. Today. Has something inside of you died or felt like it died? Please hear the words of our Savior on a cross. Today, I am with you. Today, I am with you. I'm so grateful for the sustaining grace of God. We have no hope without the saving grace of God, but the sustaining grace of God, that's what's going to get me through Monday and Tuesday and my marriage and being a parent, being a friend, being a son, whatever it is in life, and the, and, the, and, the, and the trials that may come, it's his sustaining grace. It's his sustaining grace. Psalms 116, and I close with this. It's the, it's the passage that inspired the name of our church. The psalmist, he wrote this. He said in verse 3 through 6, he says, Death once stared me in the face, and I was close to slipping into its dark shadows. I was terrified. I was overcome with sorrow. Very much how the thief on the cross must have felt. And very much how you and I can feel in life. And I cried out to the Lord, God, come and save me. And the emphasis in scripture is this is, a, is as a question more than it is an, a demand. He's like, God, would you come and save me? And we just saw that the answer is an emphatic yes. Come and save me. And he was so kind, so gracious to me because of his passion toward me. He made everything right and he restored me. So I've learned from my experience that God protects the vulnerable for I was broken and brought low, but he answered me and he came to my rescue. the story of Easter. I was broken and brought low. Can I tell you, that's not a one-time event. It's not like that one time I was broken and brought low. No, no, no. That's not a one-time event. It, it, it's over and over again. I was broken and brought low. It's those highs and those lows. And God didn't just come once. And God doesn't just come when he feels like it. No, I was broken and brought low and he came to my rescue. 
and he rescues me daily. You say, but when did he save your soul? Yeah, yeah, I had that moment, and you could have that moment, and maybe you had. Well, I, I made a decision to put my, my faith in Jesus, but then every day after that, there have been these moments where I'm like, I don't think I can do it, I don't think I, and I don't think I deserve it. And then that is when he comes to my rescue again. He says, and saves you? No, he sustains me. Oh, he saved you again? No, no, he sustained me again. He held me in the midst of the storm. He held me when I was at the low point and I broke myself and I put myself there and he comes and he sustains me. That's his saving, sustaining grace. No, no, it's not just once a year where we celebrate that Jesus has risen and we are saved. Every single day I celebrate the fact that he sustains me today. To sustain you. Emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you feel like you're just, you're leaning, you're teetering. He comes to our rescue because that's who he is. He's a savior and he's on his way. And I believe for many people in this room, it's today, today. What is today for you? I don't know, it could be the season you're in. It could be this actual day, but here's what it isn't. It isn't after you've pulled things together and gotten all right and done all the religious things and served on the team and then read your Bible 50 times and prayed. Do all those things. I love those things. You should do those things. Those things will make you feel better, but that's not what he's waiting for. God's not waiting on you. God's already there. He's not waiting on you. Like, I know he's just, I know pastor, God's just waiting for me to get my act together. No, no, no. God's already got it all together. He's there. And the moment we look up, comes to our rescue. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Thanks for joining us today on Coffee Talk with Billy and Jen. Hey, if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a review, rate us or follow us on social media at It's Billy Huffman. Here's to more coffee and honest conversations. Cheers.